official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com. Does anyone know what the word Advent actually means? It means arrival or it means coming, and it's Latin. And it's, as um, Adam mentioned, a period of four weeks leading up to Christmas, starting on the fourth Sunday before Christmas, so that's today. Now, I'm guessing that some of us have grown up in churches where we celebrated Advent every year, and some of us, uh, this may be entirely new. Um, And for some of us, like me, um, we may have grown up in a church that celebrated Advent, and it was pretty with candles and a wreath, but maybe just a little bit hollow because we didn't have a living relationship with Christ at that time in our lives. Um, For me, now that I have a living relationship with Christ, this season has come to become uh, very special for me uh, because it is about Christ. Um, It anticipates Christ. And so today we open our Advent series called Anticipate, and we're going to explore a theme, a central theme to Advent, but also, I think, a central theme to the Christian life, and that is waiting. So I want to invite you to do a thought exercise with me this morning. I'm going to ask you to write a list in your mind. So grab a mental piece of scrap paper, pick up a mental pen, and I want to invite you to write down two or three things that you're waiting for. Now, don't think too hard. Uh, Just write down the first things that come to your mind, in your mind. Um, Maybe you've got a cold. You just can't kick, and you are just waiting to be over this cold. Or maybe you're uh, waiting on the result of a a test. Um, You wonder how you did on an exam. Uh, Maybe you skipped breakfast and your stomach is rumbling and you are waiting with great anticipation for lunch. Got one or two things down? Okay. So now put down your mental piece of scrap paper. I'm going to ask you another question, but this question is for you to mull over throughout um, our time together this morning. Underneath the more immediate desires that you may have, what does your heart long for? What do you yearn for? What are you waiting on God for this season of your life, perhaps this Advent? Let me share a story about waiting with you. A few years ago, I took a picture of some pussy willows. Um, It was a very wintry day in early April, and you all know what it's like in early April in Vermont, right? It's the same as the middle of February. Not a single solitary sign of spring to be found, as hard as you might look. Well, this particular morning, I had heard some really hard and unexpected news, and I was very sad. And I knew I was going to be sad for a long time. And I went uh, to where I often go uh, to meet God when I really need to meet with him. I went to Rock Point, which is, uh, anyone here been to Rock Point? Gorgeous uh, part of uh, Burlington on the water. Um, And I went for a walk there. And I walked through the woods, and I came out to this cliff, and it was overlooking the uh, the ocean, Lake Champlain, our ocean. (laughs) Um, I brought my Bible so I could be reading the scripture. It was raw and windy and damp and spitting snow, and I was pretty cold. And I was searching really hard for some hope, and I wasn't finding any. And after quite a while there, I started back toward my car, And I passed this large shrub on the side of the road, and it had been pruned. So there were all these clippings on the side of the road. And I just happened to glance at them and notice that they were actually pussy willows. They were a sign of spring. 
uh, the first and only sign of spring that I saw that day. And as I looked at them on the ground, and as I picked a few of them up, I felt like they were a picture of my soul. My soul had been clipped, but I knew it would bloom again, just like the pussy willow was blooming and budding. So I collected some of the pussy willow branches. I took them home. I put them in a vase. I took this picture. I didn't feel less sad, but every time I saw them in this vase, they were a sign to me that even though I felt sad, I knew that my soul was going to flourish again. God gives his people pictures and has given his people pictures over time that they could cling to when there was nothing else to cling to for hope. And here's one of those pictures. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 11 says, There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall, uh, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. With righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. Let me read you a, a sort of more modern version of the last um, phrase there. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. Who's Jesse? Jesse is the father of King David and an ancestor of Jesus. What is a rod? A rod is simply an old-fashioned term for a branch. And I wanted to share this old-fashioned, the King James Version for the beginning of this verse, because we see it appear in a very common Advent hymn that we sing at this time of year, O come, O come, Emmanuel. One of the verses says, O come, thou rod of Jesse's stem, from every foe deliver them that trust your mighty power to save. Bring them in victory through the grave. Do you see what the image is here in Isaiah? It's the image of a tree, right? And through the image of a tree springing forth and growing, Isaiah introduces a promise about a future person, one on whom God's spirit rests and who will accomplish God's will. God is giving the people of Israel a sign of hope that he has not abandoned them and that he will come to them and that they will flourish again. They will flourish in him. Here's a piece of trivia for you. Uh, does anyone have a family tree at home, like on your wall, or maybe it's in the attic collecting dust, like an actual kind of tree? So the tradition of using the image of a tree to chart our family histories, our genealogies, it actually stems from this verse. You see, even before Jesus was born, the Bible paints a picture of Jesus' genealogy, his family tree, and Isaiah presents that in the image, the poetic image of a tree. And ever since then, we've been using trees to chart our own family histories. So what we have here in Isaiah 11, it's the image of a tree, of a shoot emerging from a stump. But what we really have is a promise of what's to come, a promise in the form of a prophetic picture. And I just want to stop here and ask, what is a promise? According to the dictionary, a promise is a declaration or assurance that one will do a particular thing or that a particular thing will happen. That's the dictionary's definition. But in the Bible, a promise is more than that. The book of Hebrews tells us that God's nature is unchanging and he cannot lie. It is impossible for him to lie. So when God makes a promise, it's more than any old declaration of what will happen. It's a declaration that rests on his perfect justice, his perfect power, and his 
unchanging nature, the unchanging nature of our loving God. And there's something else that we need to know about what a promise is, because it has to do with the future, right? So a promise requires something of the one to whom it is made. It requires them to wait. Scripture is filled with God's promises for his people, and it's filled with stories of his people waiting on him for his promises. For instance, think about Noah, right? Noah's called by God to build an ark, a huge vessel by which God is going to rescue Noah's family from the flood and the animals. And that must have been a pretty big boat. And I don't think he built it overnight, must have taken him a long time. Every day that he worked on it while the sun was shining and passers-by were staring perhaps in bewilderment, maybe chuckling under their breath, he was waiting. He was anticipating the rain and the judgment. And with the rain and the judgment, the rescue that God had promised. Think about Abraham and Sarah. God promises them an heir, a descendant through whom God says he will bless all the nations. But meanwhile, they're getting older and older every year, every year less likely to become parents. And they, by the way, did not do a very good job of waiting. And you can read about it in Genesis. But eventually God comes through for them, and Isaac is born. And through Isaac um, is born Jesus. Think about Joseph. God gave Joseph a dream. And in this dream, 11 stars bowed down to him. And since he had 11 brothers, it seemed like that was a pretty significant picture of the future. But the very brothers that were supposed to bow down to him according to his dream ended up selling him into slavery. Only after many years, when Joseph found himself in Egypt as head of Pharaoh's palace, and his brothers were starving in Canaan from the famine, and traveled to Egypt and asked for grain, Did God bring this prophetic dream that Joseph had to fulfillment? So as Christians, we have a heritage of waiting. And time and again, we see in Scripture, in these stories of waiting, that God uses the waiting. In so many of these stories, we see that God is shaping people's faith in the crucible of waiting. But there's another, even more important story of waiting in the scriptures, and that's the story of all who look to God to fulfill his promise of a Messiah, the one on whom God's spirit rests and who would accomplish God's will, as we read in Isaiah 11. Isaiah also prophesies, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Um, Job, in the midst of his unspeakable suffering, said prophetically, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he shall stand upon the earth. So looking back as Christians on these stories, we have the privileged position of knowing the fulfillment of these promises, these prophecies, because indeed a son was born to a virgin and became God with us, Emmanuel. The creator of the earth entered a human body, and as Job prophesied, stood upon the face of the earth. And so we have a lot to celebrate, and that's what Christmas is all about. So why celebrate Advent since the long-awaited one has already come? Here's why. Because we're waiting for a second Advent. We're waiting for a second coming, and with it, the restoration of all things. We're waiting for a new heavens and a new earth, which God promised through the prophet Isaiah, when the, the wolf and the lamb will feed together. We're waiting for when all wars will cease, when nations shall no longer uh, uh, 
lift up sword against nation as Psalm 46 proclaims. We're waiting for when all who have been exploited will be vindicated and the oppressed set free, as we read in Isaiah 11. We're waiting for when all tears shall be wiped from all eyes, all wounds will be healed, wounds of body and wounds of soul, as the book of Revelation promises. We're waiting for when creation itself will be released from bondage to death and decay, as Paul speaks of in his letter to the Romans. And we are waiting for a time when God's will will be fully done on earth as it is in heaven, as Jesus invited us to pray. That's what we're waiting for when we celebrate Advent. So let me ask you a question. How have you ever thought, have you ever thought about the fact that there are different ways to wait for something? Right? You can pass time scrolling through Instagram and Facebook and watching Netflix. But I would argue that that's not waiting, that's simply passing time. Or you can watch for what you're waiting for. You can fix your gaze in its direction. And when we watch for something, here's what I believe we're doing. I believe we are incarnating our waiting. We're posturing ourselves so that we can see that for which we're waiting. Instead of ignoring our longing, we're inhabiting our longing. When I was little, my grandparents would come to visit us about four times a year, and my sister and I would go out to the corner of our property. We lived in a small town. Um, there's a stop sign in the corner of the property and woods across the street, and, and we would go out and watch for my grandparents to arrive. Now, this was the day uh, before cell phones, right, so they couldn't text and say, we're five minutes away. We just knew they were going to come like maybe between three and five or something like that. And so we'd be out there at three o'clock, you know, watching every car as it comes over the hill. Is it the silver, you know, Ford station wagon? And, and, the, and there was this, the road, you know, you could see uh, sort of the cusp of the hill about a quarter of a mile away. So we'd squint our eyes and we would just um, hang out at the stop sign and we'd hold on to the stop sign and we'd sort of walk around in circles and circles until our hands smelled like metal and we'd watch the squirrels and we'd sing a little songs and and uh, and and we would we wanted to be the first to greet them uh, we looked forward to their coming so much we looked forward to their treats and their kisses and um, in order to be the first to greet them we had to place ourselves in a physically different spot we couldn't stay inside right we had to go to the corner because we couldn't see uh, the road from inside, we had to go to the corner. So we had to give up doing whatever we would have been doing inside, like, I don't know, watching a PBS special, Mr. Rogers, or eating a snack or making a fort. Now, I know that's not a huge sacrifice, uh, but um, just bear with me because I'm making a point. Um, the point is that in order um, to, to wait in the biblical sense means focusing on what we're waiting for, and that means stepping aside from distractions. We had to step aside from those distractions in order to see them when they arrived and be the first to greet them. In order to have our vantage point clear, distractions obscure our vantage point. You could even put it this way. I think to wait means we have to fast from those distractions. So why is it so important to step aside from those distractions? Here's why. I think that distractions numb us. They cause us to ignore our longing. And the more we ignore our longing, the more likely we are to forget why we're waiting for the thing that we're waiting for. But instead, when we inhabit our longing, we become more deeply in touch with 
what we're waiting for and why we're waiting for it. Our longing is deepened. It's purified. The more we inhabit our longing, the more prepared we are to receive that for which we're waiting. Let me say that again because I think that's really important. The more deeply we inhabit our longing, the more prepared we are to receive that for which we're waiting. I love the way Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about waiting. He calls it a hopeful doing without. Here's what he says um, about waiting. He says, Whoever does not know the austere blessedness of waiting, that is, of hopefully doing without, will never experience the blessing of fulfillment. He's saying that there's actually a unique blessing for those who are not afraid to do without. He's saying that when we wait as the Bible invites us to wait, there's not only a blessing in the fulfillment of the waiting, but also a blessing, which he calls an austere blessing, but a blessing nonetheless in the waiting itself. I wonder if anyone here has ever experienced that blessing in the waiting. By the way, Dietrich Bonhoeffer knew something about waiting. Uh, as I'm sure many of you know, um, he was a German pastor during World War II. He was active in the resistance, and he was arrested, and he spent two years in a Nazi prison in Berlin before he was hanged just weeks before the end of the war. And so for two years, the last two years of his life, he lived in a prison cell waiting, waiting for release waiting to marry the woman whom he had just been engaged to a few weeks before he was arrested, waiting to know which way the war would turn, waiting to know his fate, whether he would live or die. And his time in prison gave him some pretty deep insights, actually, into Advent. In December 1943, as he was approaching his first Christmas in prison, he wrote a prison cell. This is in a letter um, to a friend. He wrote, a prison cell like this is a good analogy for Advent. One waits, hopes, the door is locked. It can only be opened from the outside. The door is locked. It can only be opened from the outside. We too, in a way, are confined in a prison cell, aren't we? Because we live in a world that is in bondage to sin and to death, and we can't free ourselves from our sin. We can't escape death. We are thoroughly unable to do that. The door has to be opened from the outside. And so we wait. So we've been talking about the importance of waiting, the centrality of waiting in life and in the Christian story. How can we engage waiting? How can we enter waiting? How can we practice waiting. For centuries, uh, during this season, this time of year, during Advent, Christians have engaged in practices that have helped them to do precisely that. And I'd love to share a few of those with you. For some of you, uh, this may be new, or you may be very familiar with these traditions. Advent wreaths. We have an Advent wreath right here. And I want to thank Mary for creating this beautiful Advent wreath. I hope that you'll come up and take a look at it. Um, on, on the Advent wreath are four candles, um, and one is lit each week for Advent, and they represent Jesus, the light of the world. And so on the first Sunday, one candle is lit, and on the second Sunday, another. And so we have a picture with each week of the light dispelling the darkness. 
Some wreaths um, include a white candle in the center, um, referred to as the Christ candle, and that's lit on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. Um, Now, a wreath, of course, is a circle, and that is very symbolic. It represents God's unending love for us because there is no end in a circle, and there is no end to God's love for us. And there's also no end to the eternal life purchased for us by Christ. Um, Another way, uh, traditionally, of celebrating Advent is to um, engage in devotional readings, perhaps um, a read in the lectionary, the scriptures for uh, given days. Um, I actually ordered, I haven't read it yet, but I'm really looking forward to it, um, an Advent devotional um, that is a, a collection of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's writings, um, some of them from prison, some of them from his letters, some of them from his sermons um, that have to do with the themes of Advent. So I'm looking forward to reading that. Um, music is a wonderful way of inhabiting our longing. How many of you uh, are familiar with the hymn, an Advent hymn, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus? Does that ring a bell for some of you? That was written by Charles Wesley in 1744, and we still sing it today. Um, A a little bit less known is uh, Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence. Um, And that actually goes back to the 300s. And you can hear that in churches today. And then more famously, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Um, how many of you are familiar with that song? O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. A lot of you, good. O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, um, which is mostly in a minor key, by the way, which I think helps us even more to inhabit our longing. But you'll notice the refrain has a major uh, a key. Um, rejoice, rejoice, O Israel. And that's in the major key. Um, so it goes back and forth. But that actually, the words of that derive from the 7th and 8th centuries, when in the monasteries for the 10 days leading up to Christmas, there were these phrases that the monks would speak called antiphons. And somebody took those phrases and created the verses that are now this, the hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And it was put to music uh, to a French tune from the 1400s. So it's very, very old. Another um, tradition um, for Advent is a Jesse tree, not to be confused with a Christmas tree. Now, a Jesse tree is a tree that you decorate with um, ornaments, each of which symbolize uh, something in the biblical story leading up to Jesus. Um, I'm so excited. We have some really committed Jesse tree folks um, here in the house. Um, The heirs always have a a Jesse tree in their home. And I asked Jen, uh, they make their ornaments. I asked her if she would share a few of them with me. This is, um, I I don't know if you, you can see it, but it's a little felted coat of many colors. So on one uh, Sunday of Advent, this might be placed on the tree. On another Sunday of Advent, I see we have a rainbow representative of um, God's covenant with um, Noah, right, after the flood. So um, this is also a wonderful way for, um, for children to become more and more familiar with the stories that lead up to Christ. So those are some traditional ways of practicing waiting during Advent, but you can design your own. For instance, You could choose a verse for Advent, just one verse, a verse that maybe burns a little bit in your heart when you read it. Um, Maybe there's an invitation in in this verse for you, and so you could spend, I don't know, five minutes a day uh, with this verse for the duration of Advent, Um, and that could be a way of waiting. Have you ever lit a candle and turned the lights out and spent time with God in silence? that can be a particularly meaningful way of spending time with God and of inhabiting our longing and waiting. Um, By the way, that's a great way to um, get rid of distractions. (laughs) 
Um, journaling, creating art around the themes of Advent. I recently listened to a podcast where a woman shared that her Advent practice was to go for a walk each evening in the dark. Now, she loves to go for walks, and in the summer, she would go for a walk after dinner, but in the winter, she would just go to the gym because it was dark. And then she realized, actually, she could go for a walk in the dark, and that way she would get her walk in, and she would be outside, and it would be a way to remember that Christ is coming, the light of the world. I thought that was a particularly creative way of celebrating Advent. So these are all practices that I've just shared with you, and I want to just step back and ask the question, why practices? Why practices? Um, Let me just say something about practices. Practices, and we do them, by the way, all Christians, like we just sang these songs, so we entered into a practice of singing uh, as worship, right? We don't do these to earn God's favor, because we're already at the very center of God's favor in Christ. We're no more righteous for doing any practice than for not doing it. So why would we uh, engage in a practice? Here's why. Because it helps us to slow down, and it creates space in our lives for God. Practices can help us refocus our gaze from distractions onto God, also onto our own souls, which I believe we need to do from time to time. Practices can help us, I believe, to inhabit our longing, and that's why we do them. I want to invite you to consider whether waiting is something that God might be inviting you to step into in an intentional way this Advent. Would one of these practices perhaps help you inhabit your longing for Christ, your longing for his light, his promise of peace, his healing? What would it look like for you to spend time watching for God's arrival, as it were? What would it look like for you to sit in the darkness for a little while in order to more fully anticipate the light? So this morning, I want to give us an opportunity to engage in our own special Church of the Well Advent practice. Um, At the beginning of our time together, I asked you to make a, a mental list, and then I asked you another question to mull over. I asked you sort of underneath the more immediate desires that you have. What does your heart long for? What do you yearn for? In short, what are you waiting on God for this Advent? Let me ask that question in a little bit of a different way. What is God inviting you to wait on him for this Advent? So as we close our service this morning, we're going to do something a little bit different. You probably noticed the um, tables behind me. Um, As the band is playing the closing song, I'm going to invite uh, you, if you feel led, um, to come up to the tables where you're going to see strips of cloth, um, and there are markers. I'm going to invite you to write a word, a single word, or a very short phrase, in answer to the question of what are you waiting on God for this Advent? And when you do that, I hope that that will be a prayer. Uh, That will be, the coming up, the writing will be for you, a kind of prayer. And then you can drop it off in the bucket. And Luann is going to be weaving these into uh, this uh, frame frame loom um, to create an Advent prayer tapestry. And you'll notice that there are a few strips already in the loom. Um, And on those strips are written Isaiah 11, which is where we started. There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. 
So as Luann is weaving your strips of cloth into the tapestry, she is literally going to be weaving, weaving what you're waiting for into this promise. And here's the promise. The promise is that there is one who was long awaited and who has come. And he will come again. And when he does, he will right every wrong. He will vindicate the oppressed. He will bring peace where there is violence. He will heal every wound and wipe every tear. And he will release creation from its bondage to decay and death. And he will flood darkness with light. He will set prisoners free. And in him, we will be made whole and complete. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you, long-awaited one, that you have indeed come. We celebrate your coming this morning. We thank you that the light of the world has come into the world. But we know that the darkness did not recognize you. And there is still darkness in this world. And we are in between, Lord. The, you've already come, and yet the kingdom is still coming. It has yet to come to full fruition, Lord. And we anticipate that day when you will restore all things and we will be made whole and our hurts, Lord, will be healed and our separations, Lord, would be healed and our concerns would be held and the exploited, Lord, will be vindicated and wars will cease and tears will be wiped from every eye. And so we look to you, Lord, and we come to you, Lord, with that for which we are waiting. And we just trust and say, Lord, that you are the one that we wait for. And all of our waiting, Lord, looks to you. And all of our waiting is found in you, Lord. Let our waiting this morning be found in you. In Jesus' name, amen. So as the band is um, starting to play, I would just invite you to come right up. Um, take a marker, write a word, leave it in the bucket, and Luann will be weaving a tapestry for us this morning. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community. 